Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We are going into the book of John part three. Do not miss this tonight. Stay on here. Make it fun. Be excited. Get your family, get your kids, get your highlighters, get your Bibles out. Get ready because I got stuff to preach tonight. I got stuff to talk to you guys about tonight. We're going to be very ambitious and try to get through a chapter and a half. We'll see. I don't know because again, I don't want to go. I want to take my time. I don't want to go too fast. One of the reasons why I'm doing this, you say, why are you doing verse by verse? I want to get you guys excited about the word of God. I think we need to be excited. We're excited about everything else in life. And I think it's time that we get excited about the word of God. So if you don't know, we are on an endless journey. I'll probably be 50 by the time we're done. Just kidding. But, but pro- probably if we do one chapter a week, like I've been doing, we are going through every verse in the new Testament on live stream on YouTube. Okay. So we've done the entire book of revelation, the entire book of Ephesians, the entire book of Romans, the entire book of acts, the entire book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of those are linked on the channel. And now we are doing the book of John and it's some of these, it's like one chapter a week. This tonight's going to be like maybe one chapter. We're going to see, we are using the new King James version next to Paul. John wrote more new Testament books than anyone else. He wrote obviously the gospel of John, which is what we're covering tonight. Excuse me. He wrote first John, second John, third John, and he wrote the book of revelation, which by the way, my favorite books of the Bible, revelation and John. John wrote them both. I really like John if you're not catching my drift here. So I'm very excited about this. And we're actually in one of my favorite stories. Actually, maybe maybe my favorite story. One of them. One of my absolute favorite stories in the entire New Testament and all of the Gospels we're going to be covering tonight. So let's get this on screen here. We're going to pray that this works. And it did work. Let me move the chat over here. Sorry, chat. Moving to the side. We're going to put it on screen because not all of you have your Bibles out. So we want to be sensitive to that as well. But we are going to be looking at John chapter four. We're going to start in verses one through three, and we're just going to make our way through. We're going to read it through, talk about it, preach on it. It's going to be a good time. John chapter four, verses one through three. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus, look at this, Jesus made and baptized. So made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, which is very interesting. Look at what it says here. He left Judea and and departed to Galilee. So very, very interesting text here because the Bible says that the Pharisees saw Jesus baptizing more than John the Baptist and saw Jesus discipling more. But the Bible notes to say Jesus actually wasn't the one doing the baptizing. The disciples were. So we know Jesus didn't come just to baptize or to bring a doctrine of baptism, but Jesus came to lay his life down. And Paul, in fact, said as well, Paul said, my assignment was not to come and baptize. But Jesus knew that the Pharisees, and this is a common theme all throughout tonight, were stirring up trouble for him. So before they stir up too much trouble, he's going to leave. Every time he got really, really heated, Jesus would know and Jesus would leave because it wasn't his time yet. So he's not going to let them attack him or come after him before his time. He's going to make sure that everything's done in the right time. So he knew this, so he ends up leaving. So not only were they baptizing, I want to I note that, but look at what it says. They made disciples. They were also making disciples. And this is our goal is disciple making. And we're making a lot of things in the church, but not disciples. We're making websites. Come on, chat. We're making, we're, we're making programs. We're making good worship teams. We're making good sermons. We're making people feel good. All right, everyone's saying refresh, refresh, refresh. We're lagging. Oh, no. Hopefully the internet's not going out. I'm going to give you guys a second to catch up. Type one if you're back. It's freezing. No, is the bit rate too high. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a second to come back. Hopefully my internet's not going out. It looks like it's clear on my end not lagging. It's my phone or Wi-Fi. Okay. Maybe it's your phone, not lagging, not frozen. Okay. Refresh, refresh, hit HD if it's blurry for you. So the goal is not just to make big churches, not just to preach good messages, not just to make websites, not just to make live streams. It's to make disciples and disciples are not born. Write this down. Disciples are made the world right now. The church people are starving to be discipled. And this, this transcends just come on Sunday morning and we're going to preach to you. Disciple making takes work. It takes energy. It takes time. It takes effort. And we got to put the time in. We've created a very lazy gospel in the church where we don't want to put time in. So disciples are not born. They are made a one. Oh man. I know y'all aren't going to like this. A one hour sermon once a week is not enough to disciple you. 
a one hour live stream once a week is not enough to disciple you. Discipleship takes time. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded of you. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So we're called to make disciples. So you should be discipling your kids, you should be discipling a friend. You should be discipling someone. If you're not discipling your kids or you don't have kids, you should be discipling someone else. And that's to teach them to follow Jesus. So we're called to make disciples. Jesus said, go, don't stay. Now, a lot of us are waiting for someone to come to us. Okay, like one day someone's gonna come to me and say, Isaiah, disciple me. Or friend, disciple me. Or John, disciple me. Or Tanner, disciple me. Or Chad, disciple me. But Jesus didn't say stay and wait for them to come to you and ask you to disciple them. Jesus says, go and make disciples. So actually, I have to actively go into my job. I have to act actively go into my school. I have to actively go into the streets, the store, the mall, the coffee shops, the church, the streets, my family, my friends, and I have to go make disciples. I have to go on social media and teach and train and disciple and get on Discord and call people on FaceTime and Zoom. We have all this access to every technology that we could ever need to make disciples, yet we are making, write this in the chat, excuses instead of disciples. This is the sad reality of the church is we're making excuses. We're not called to make excuses. We are called to make disciples. This is what Jesus said to do. Teach them to obey what I commanded you. So like, remember when I told you the world's gonna hate you? Teach them about that. Remember when I told you the meek will inherit the earth? Teach them about that. Remember when I said blessed are those that are poor in the spirit? Remember when I said the last will be first? Remember when I said pick up your cross? Remember when I told you to go cast out devils? Remember when I told you to go lay hands on the sick? Remember when I taught you the ways of the kingdom, the parable of the servants, the two sons, the leaven, the fish? Here's what I want you to do. Everything I've commanded of you, teach them that. Don't give them a partial gospel, Teach them to obey everything I have commanded of you. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So my life's goal is to make disciples. And we're going to see why that matters later on. Later on, I'm going to show you why that's very, very significant. Okay, look what he says here, verses four through six. Look at this. But he needed to go through Samaria. Okay, so he, he leaves Galilee. He needs to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Look at this. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is going to sit by the well on the sixth hour. Now, interesting thing to know is, and I'm going to preach this, Jesus leaves Judea to go to Galilee, but has to stop at Samaria on the way. So it was the persecution of the religious people that caused them to end up in Samaria. This is the story of the book of Acts, the story of the Bible. Persecution drove people to the places God originally even wanted them. So God comes to the religious people. Jesus comes to the religious cities. They drive him out and Jesus ends up with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with the fishermen, because religion drove him out. Remember in Mark 1, Jesus starts in the synagogue. He's casting out demons in the synagogue and religion drove him out. I tell pastors this all, pastors this all the time. If you don't want Jesus in your church, he will find a place that wants him. Where one place rejects him, the next place accepts him. And this is always the story. Sometimes God will allow religion to reject the move of God. So he'll end up where he originally wanted to be. And that's with people that celebrate him. Jesus is not looking to be tolerated. Jesus is looking to be celebrated. Remember the wedding banquet. Send out the servants. Go invite people to the wedding banquet. The people that got invited to the banquet said, we just got married. We have businesses. We have farms to attend to. One guy said, I have a brand new oxen I need to try out. So Jesus, God says, okay, the religious people, my people don't want me. Go to the highways and the byways. Go to those that I wasn't even originally going to invite and see if they'll accept the invite. Isaiah Saldivar, the ex-atheist, is a product of God calling so many people that were religious and, God, and them saying no to God. So God says, I'm going to call the unqualified. I'm going to call the unfit. And the fact that God is calling and anointing those that are unqualified, unfit, are a sign he's overlooked the church. He's overlooked those that he originally decided to choose and wanted to, wanted to reach. They rejected him. And then the Bible says many are called, few are chosen. And this reads more like everyone gets invited to the banquet, but few decide to actually come. So I want to actually go to the banquet. I don't want to live my life ignoring God, rejecting God, acting like he's no big deal. Remember, the world was not the lost ones. The church was. Jesus said, go and preach. And then Jesus called the, the people of Israel, the lost house of Israel. 
You cannot be lost if you never had something. You lose something because you've had it first. So if you look at like the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sheep, think about this. These were all a sign of, quote unquote, God's people, can I say believers, that were once saved or once in the sheepfold and had wandered from God. These are not about the world. Well, how do you know? The prodigal son was in the father's house before he left. So he was in the father's house before. The lost coin was lost in the house. It wasn't outside the house. It was in the house of God. And the lost sheep, the 99, remember the one leaves? That one was a part of the 99 before. And it left the sheepfold. So this is about people leaving the things of God, leaving the ways of God, and then God calling them back. So people say, Isaiah, you should just preach to the lost more. Friend, when I'm preaching in churches, I'm preaching to the lost. There are so many lost, wandering Christians that have no clue why they're here. And is this facts or not? No clue why they're here. No clue what they should be doing for God. Zero desire for prayer. Zero desire to worship. Zero desire to serve him. And God is going to those people that would never imagine themselves serving God, would never worship God. And also remember this, Samaritans were half Assyrian and half Jews. So if you were a Jewish person, you avoided Samaria. Like in the eyes of the world, Jesus should not be in Samaria. And Jesus, in fact, at one point tells the disciples, do not go to Samaria. This was the area avoided by the disciples, avoided by the Jews, and avoided by the religious people. And I love what Jesus does. He goes right up in the mix where everybody else has rejected these people. There we see Jesus. Jesus is not afraid to cross religious lines. The places that religion are afraid to go, Jesus is not afraid to go. So Jesus' church is not about those that are clean and those that have all together. The church is a trauma center for the broken, the hurting, the addicted, the down and out. This is a trauma center. Oh, I'm preaching strong tonight. Share this with somebody. Please, internet, don't go out. The church is a trauma center, not a drama center. Somebody type that in the chat. It's not a place of drama. It's like, oh, I'm more holy than you. Oh, you have this. It's a place where the hurting and broken can come and feel loved and feel a breakthrough and get born again and experience deliverance and experience healing. Yet the church has gone from being a trauma center to a drama center. We don't have it all together. We don't have it all right, but we need to be a place for the lost and the broken. I want to go to places that religion is afraid to reach and reach those that are unreached with the gospel. I'm just tired of talking to only people that serve God and religious people that feel like God owes them something. He ends up in the Samaritan village of Sychar and Jacob's well was there. Now note, this is Jacob's well, which was dug, I'm preaching, thousands of years earlier, but it's still supplying water for later generations. And I want to ask you this question. Are you digging wells that are going to impact the next generation? Everything we're doing here has to be eternal. I want to dig a well. I want it not just be a now generation where it's, I need to download it now. I need the food now. I need the page to download, the app to download, the picture to post. We're very now, now, now. I want to be a generation that says, I'm going to dig a well that's going to reach Ne the next generation. I want to dig a well that's going to supply living water to someone else. I want the, and again, the water we know speaks of the Holy Spirit. John tells us that when he says, I'm speaking of water, I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit. So we're not just talking about a physical well. I'm, I'm talking about spiritual wells. I want my grandkids to have a well where the Holy Spirit can flourish and flow because I dug it. I want my great, great, great grandkids who the devil has destined to be alcoholic, to be atheist, to be broken, to be beat up, to be full of the Holy Ghost because their great, great, great grandfather had some prayer meeting in some random city, decided to say yes to God and dug a well. Friend, I'm here to tell you that if you are a first generation believer, you are digging a well. I am only here because my parents dug a well. I'm only here because my grandparents dug a well. I'm only here because I had great grandparents that dug a well. Maybe you're the first one in your family to say, I'm going to provide a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. I'm going to build something that's not just going to supply my needs, but going to supply the needs of the generations to come. Come on, we need some well diggers in the chat. Is anyone in this chat type one saying, I'm going to dig a well for my generation? I'm more concerned about spiritual inheritance than financial inheritance. I'm more concerned with leaving my kids a spiritual legacy than a financial legacy. We need to be well diggers. I'm not talking about gold diggers here, y'all. Come on, help me. I'm talking about well diggers. So we need to get our eyes off of, because we're very focused on, and you, and it's, it's good, it's okay. 
Like I got to make sure I leave my kids a car or leave my kids a house or leave my kids property. So we work our entire life in the hopes of one day I can leave them something. But are you going to leave them a well? Are you going to leave them something spiritually? Like right now we're digging a well. Right now we are working hard for God so that there will be something to supply the future generations. And if you understood this principle, you wouldn't be so lazy. You wouldn't be so lax. You wouldn't waltz in late to the prayer meetings. You would, you would start fasting seriously. You'd start being more desperate because my shout, my praise, my worship, my teaching, my, my tenacity, my boldness, my passion is definitely not just for me. I'm praising for my kids. I'm praising for my marriage. I'm shouting for the future generations. I'm worshiping. I will, I won't apologize for it. I'm not just shouting for your breakthrough. I'm doing it for generations to come. I'm digging a well tonight. I'm digging a well. I'm living out some of my grandmothers, my grandfathers who passed away years ago. I'm still living out their prayers. Like, think about this. You're going to die, but your prayers didn't die. Those prayers you prayed are going to carry through the generations. Lord, I pray that you would just touch my, my generational line. I pray that my great grandkids, I pray that my grandkids, I pray for those in my generation I don't even meet. And those, those prayers don't die when you die. Those prayers are still being answered. I'm still a result of prayers that my grandmother who passed away before I got saved, she prayed. I'm still a result of those prayers. So be serious about this. Don't take this lightly. Don't take this as a joke. This is a very serious matter. This is no joke here. Look what John 4 seven through nine says a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Wow. Look at this for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So we know it's just, just her and Jesus. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that? How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And this is the line that changes everything. This is the difference between Jesus and religion for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Here Jesus is breaking the lines, breaking the barriers, meets a Samaritan woman and asks her this question. And this is prophetic preaching tonight with the word, okay? Will you give me a drink? I've come to find most encounters with Jesus ask, start with him asking you to give him something. And it never makes sense. Why are you the son of God, God in the flesh, needing something from me, like little Isaiah, broken Isaiah. And God comes to me and says, I want your hands. I want your feet. I want to use you. I've given you a gift to reach people, Isaiah. I've given you hands to do stuff for me. I've given you feet to walk places and go places that are of despair and brokenness and use your, I'm going to take your feet around the nations to preach the gospel. I've given you eyes that you once used to watch filth now you're going to see people healed and delivered. Those friends that you've had, I've given you them. I'm now going to use you to reach them. Those things that you used to do, Lord, Isaiah, give me your talents. Isaiah, give me your abilities. Give me your hands. Give me your feet. God, you have something that God wants. He wants your hands. That's why the book of Romans chapter 12 says, offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices. God wants your body. He came to Peter and said, Peter, let me use your boat. And God turned Peter's boat into a pulpit. What Peter had, Jesus needed. And here we have Jesus saying, give me something to drink. What is God asking you for tonight? What is God asking you to do tonight? What has God said, give me so that I can use it? He says, he says, Moses, give me your rod and I'll turn your normal rod, your normal stick into a testimony to Pharaoh and it'll deliver my people. That one rod, I will use it. Normal, average, ordinary. Do you have a rod to give God? Because I've noticed when you get saved, you don't get bored. God supercharges what you have and uses it for his kingdom. God wants to supercharge your abilities and talents. God saved you. God anointed you. God called you. You have to understand that God wants to use. Maybe, you're, maybe you did design. Maybe you did animation. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe whatever it is. What I don't know, but you have something and God is saying, give that to me. And maybe God's saying, give it up for a season and God's going to use it later for something else. But God said, Jesus said, give me a drink. I'm asking you for something. And the Bible says he was alone. Now there was times where he was in a crowd and, but there's times where Jesus zeroes in on you. There's times where Jesus gets that one-on-one. -on -one. I was 800 people at the altar when I got saved, 600, I don't know, hundreds. Yet God zeroed in on me and changed my life. I was at the altar altar, and it was like God took a magnifying glass and saw me. 
And this is such a powerful reality when you realize the God of the universe sees me. He sees me. He called me. He wants something from me. So I want you tonight, forget about who's in the stream. Forget about the 2,000 people here. Forget about your past. Forget about everybody around you. Forget about the people sitting next to you. Tonight, Jesus is alone and ready to meet you where you are. He's zeroing in on you. Have you been saved before? It's time to take it to another level. If you feel confused, get ready for God to bring clarity. If you're sick in body, get ready for God to heal you. If you need deliverance, get ready for deliverance. Now, this, the, the result was this. The woman is shocked because Jews don't talk to Samaritans and says, why are you asking me for a drink? The woman who is a hated race, the woman who is known to be in sin, she's in a public place and Jesus crossed the barrier to show that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel isn't just for the rich, it's also for the poor. It's not just for the church person, it's also for the drug addict. The gospel crosses over cultural and social statuses. And isn't this how an encounter goes? Jesus, why are you asking me for something? Do you know my past? Do you know what I've done the years before I met you? Am I preaching to anyone tonight or is this just me? Do you know how I used to talk? Do you know how I used to live? This is what I said to God at that altar. Do you know how much I used to drink? Do you know how I've abused people? Do you know how messed up my family is? Do you know, how could you talk to someone like me? How could you use someone like me? What business, and this was literally what she was saying. What business do you have talking to a guy like me? I'm a man of unclean lips. And Isaiah chapter six, you are holy. There's nobody like you. Yet here you are at my well talking to me when I'm beat and broken and everybody's abandoned me and walked out on me. I remember, and I get emotional when I talk about this. I remember when his world collided with mine. I remember like it was yesterday how unholy I was. Now you guys know me now, but I was unclean. I was unholy. I was undone. I was unfit. I was beat up from the feet up, tore up from the floor up, broken, beat down, busted, disgusted, hurting, depressed, angry, racist against my own race. I was everything bad. And God said, Isaiah, give me what you have. And I, and I thought in my head, what business? I, I understand if you talk to the guy next to me who's been in Bible college. I understand if you talk to the girl next to me whose parents are pastors, but who am I? I'm just trying to get my degree in law enforcement, become a police officer, marry this girl, live my life, party it up, do what I want to do. And here you are speaking to someone like me at that altar. And it changed everything. His power, his glory, the reality of the kingdom of God colliding with my dysfunction and the fact that God is even willing to talk to us. Here's how David said it. Who is man that God is mindful of us? He said, when I consider the galaxies, the stars, the universe, who is man that God even thinks about me? And friend, do you understand that God's thoughts about you outnumber the sand on the seashore? You're here tonight. Don't know why you're here. Someone in the chest, I don't even know why I'm here. How did I get here? And you've been broken and you've been hurting and you feel like nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody wants anything to do with you. You are overlooked. You are unfit. You are uneducated and you are in your eyes worthless. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of, and now I think 8 billion people says, I'm thinking about you. In fact, I'm not just thinking about you like the way you might think about your husband or your wife and like someone you have a crush on. And you, that you, I'm thinking so much about you that my thoughts about you outnumber the sand on the seashores. What kind of God is that? That while we were his enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. This is why I'm excited. This is why I, I'm so blessed to live my life, being able to share this message with everybody. How could this be boring? How could we not share this with everybody? How could you keep your mouth shut about this? The God of the universe thinks about me? What? This changes everything. I am no longer just this broken beat little maggot that the world tells me I am, but God thinks about me, has a plan for me, a plan for me to prosper and to have a hope in the future. So depression, get off of me. Anxiety, get off of me. No fear here. What am I afraid of? It's me and God, and that's all I need. And I'm good with that. This is the exciting thing about the God. What are you excited about? What are you not excited about? Why are you up there shouting? Why are you down there dying? I don't understand how we can't be passionate about this. Let this excite you again for the gospel. This is, this is the scene here. 
Jesus and her, and she's going, I don't know what you're doing talking to me. I don't know what a guy like you is doing talking to a girl like me. And look at this here. This is incredible. Verse 10. I told you we're going probably one chapter. We're going long. Oh, well, okay. We're going to go to the power goes out here. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, whoo, we could preach. I'm a preacher, y'all. So I'm sorry if we're not, if we're going long here, it is what it is. If you knew, I just want to tell somebody, this is not in notes or anything. I just want to tell someone, if you knew what God had in store, if you knew the plan of God for those that he loves and cares about, if you knew the destiny that God had for you, I feel this in my spirit tonight. If you knew the destiny that God had for you, you wouldn't be crying all the time. You wouldn't be complaining all the time. You wouldn't be hurt all the time. You wouldn't be discouraged if you only knew what God had for you. If you knew, this is what he tells her, letters are read, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Look what he says here. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the entire conversation changes. This is the game changer. We're not talking about normal water. Okay, some of you are like, well, don't preach too much into the text and it didn't mean water doesn't mean this. This is literally what Jesus says. Okay, lady, we're not talking about normal water. We are talking about living water. John later will tell us, and I believe chapter 10, this is the Holy Spirit. But he says living water. And then she doesn't catch it. The woman said to him, sir, <laughs> you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater? She's like, how dare you? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? She has no clue, just like many of you tonight, who she's talking to, who she's praying to. If you only knew what God had for you, if you only knew you'd be asking for living water tonight. How many times do we show up to church and not realize Jesus is ready to give us what we ask for in his name? How many times is Jesus standing right in front of us and we don't even realize God is among us? How many times are we just casual with God at church in prayer? Like acting like God's not even there. And Jesus is like, if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for something. I mean, I don't understand this. I'm always, I'm always having to ask you to do things, but you don't even ask me. He says, you have not because you ask not. How many times do we walk around the altar acting like God is not a big deal? Acting like God is, and she, look at this. She had not realized who this man really was. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe he's a mystical, you know, guru. Maybe he's an invisible, he's, he's more than that. He's not that. He's infinitely greater. He's God. Jesus, type this in the chat. We're going to smack the algorithm tonight. Jesus is God. There's no, it, this lady is standing in front of creator God. The Bible says nothing that has been created was created, but through him. This is creator God. And he shows up and we act like he's no big deal. He has everything we need. Why do I go to the phone instead of the throne? Why am I running to social media for all my problems? You guys wouldn't believe what he did to me. Run to the throne, not the phone. Run to God. He has everything you need. We're like, man, if he just shows up, he's in you. He's in you. And he's like, lady, do you realize how important this is? And then her response is, well, think about, oh man, help me tonight. Holy Spirit, preach this good. Think about her, how, how dumb this is. And I'm going to show you how we do this all the time. You don't have a rope or a bucket. In other words, she doesn't realize this is God. And now she's trying to tell God, I'm going to go slow, why he can't do what he's saying he can do. Well, Jesus, Jesus comes and says, I'm going to save your kids. And you're like, uh, well, you don't really understand how lost my kids are. Well, you don't really know how my parents feel about you. God says, I'm going to save your parents. Well, you don't really know. My dad's been an atheist for 40 years. I mean, you don't really know, Jesus. I know you say you're going to restore my finances and help me. You don't really know how backed up the bills are. Well, Jesus, I know you said you can heal me of cancer, but this is the fourth stage. Are y'all catching this? And it's already spread through my body. My hair is already falling out. So I know you're a healer and you say you can heal me, but you don't, how are you going to do this? You don't even have a bucket or a rope. Well, Jesus, my family's much more messed up than you think. You don't have what it takes to do what you say you can do. He says, I can give you living water. She says, you can't do what you say you're going to do. I'm telling you right now, Jesus, 
can save your entire family in a minute, a second, a millisecond. He can heal you. He can deliver you. He doesn't need anyone's help. He doesn't need a special situation. Jesus doesn't need a rope or a bucket to supply what you need. The rope and the bucket mentality is what's keeping us from breakthrough in the place of prayer. We tell God, you don't have what it takes, God. Like how many times have we bought into this lie that God is unable, that God is unfit? But he told the, he told the prophet Isaiah, my arm is not weak. My ear is not deaf. My eyes, they can see. I'm the all-knowing, all-powerful, the beginning and the end. So what are, you, what are you saying that I'm weak? I'm not strong. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, above, way up here, all you can ask or think. Infinitely more, one translation says, than you can imagine. So what are you saying? I just don't know. Where's your rope in your bucket? You don't need a rope in a bucket. He's God. He's God in the flesh. You guys want to keep going here or should we call it? Let's keep going here. Look at this. Let's go to verse 13 here. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks, oh man, I feel the Holy Ghost strong tonight. I'm so excited. Whoever, this is my, this is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Whoever drinks of this, this, this is Jesus talking here. Okay, don't clip this and say, I'm talking about me. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever drinks of this water, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. So again, we're not talking about natural water, but the water I shall give him, and some of you are going to get that water tonight. Look at this. Will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So what's the water he's going to give? It will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then look at the lady's response in verse 15. Sir, this is, this is her response. Come on, help me tonight. Lady, give him something. Sir, give me this water. All right, we're getting somewhere. She wants it. Sir, give me this water that I may not have to thirst. So she doesn't want to thirst anymore. And then what, what's the other reason why she wants the water? So I don't have to come here to draw. She misses the entire thing of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus says, if you drink this, you'll never thirst again. Speaking of eternal life, God is saying, look, lady, you can try to fill that void with parting. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing what it relates to us today. You can try to fill the void. We all have it. Every single one of us. You can try to fill it with drinking, parting, all the stuff you want to do to temporarily satisfy your desires. But the only way you're going to be eternally satisfied or your eternal thirst is going to be quenched if you get my water, what I have. The world is giving you temporary things to try to fill an eternal void. They're saying, just do this and you'll feel full. Just do this and you'll feel better. But you have to keep coming back to drink the world's water. If you go party, drink, and everybody knows this in the chat that's not a Christian. And I know you're in here. You go party, drink, sleep around, do drugs, and you feel good for the moment because sin is good for but a season. But then when the high wears off, when you sober up, you feel terrible again. So what do you do the next night? What do you do the next night? You go back out. Why? To fill the void again. And you're constantly having to go to the well, fill it up with temporary pleasure and temporary things. Jesus comes and says, we know the water's not natural now. This is living water, eternal life, Holy Spirit. And if, if you get this, this, you're never going to thirst again. This is where everything changes, where I woke up and said, I don't think I've ever woke up happy until the day I was born again. I woke up and was like, this is life. I've, I'm, I'm eternally satisfied. This is why I could live under a bridge tomorrow. I wouldn't want to, but I could and be eternally satisfied, eternal satisfaction. That void is filled, filled with the fullness of Christ, the Bible says. This is what he's saying. But her, here's her response. Give it to me. I want you guys to see this so I don't have to come back here. She wants it not so she can have eternal life, not so she can be saved, not so she can make disciples, heal the sick, cast out demons. She wants the water to solve her problems so she doesn't have to work anymore, so she can be lazy and not come back. And this is the gospel we've created in America. We say, Oh, come to Jesus. There'll be no more trials, no more storms. You can live however you want. There's really no change. Jesus will make your life easier. And that is not the truth. There will still be storms. The difference is 
Jesus will be there to bring peace in the storms. There will still be trials, but he'll be there in the trials. The problems don't go away when you come to Jesus the way you deal with them does. You get that eternal satisfaction. This is not about a self-help, easy life. Just give me some Jesus so I can make my life easier and float to heaven one day. This is about, this is about eternal water. This is about eternal living water, which is eternal life. I love this. Let me move this over here. I got to always remember to put the Bible back on screen. I'm still not used to it. Verse 16. Okay. She wanted to make her life easier. That's not why we want eternal water. Jesus said, verse 16, Jesus said to her, <laughs> it's about to change here. Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Okay. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. Some of y'all, this is you right here. I'm going to show you. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Jesus goes, you're right. You're right. You've had five husbands. You have a commitment issue. That's what you have. The issue is this. I know I'm preaching right to somebody, right? Somebody right in between the eyes tonight. The issue is this. You don't know how to stay committed to someone. You have a, a, a faithfulness issue where you go from commitment to commitment, covenant to covenant, relationship to relationship, new trend to new trend. This is a lot of our issue. The whole God thing, oh, you know, it's fun for a season, but just like we do with everything else, a year or two goes by, and when the next thing comes, you ditch God. Until the next girlfriend comes, the next boyfriend comes, the next fad comes, the next phase comes, you go and be unfaithful to God. Unfaithful to ministry. Unfaithful to Jesus unfaithful to the Holy Spirit, not able to keep covenant with him back and forth. Every time something new shiny comes, you chase after it. And then you backslide for six months or a year. And then you come back to God and you're on this roller coaster of unfaithfulness with other lovers all the time. There are way too many of us in this chat tonight that are dating God. There are way too many of us who are in no marriage covenant with God where we're just dating God. It's just when we feel it, when we want to back and forth, Disciples don't date him. Disciples cut covenant. We say, God, we are married, the bride and the bridegroom. Remember, women also can represent parables uh, and stories many times in the Bible of the bride. Remember the faithful and unwise virgin represent the bride of Christ. So how many of us, the bride of Christ has been unfaithful and uncommitted just like this lady, uncommitted to God. Lord, I repent, Lord, for being unfaithful. I repent for not being committed to you. I repent for just going and doing my own thing and being married to entertainment, being married to culture and being married to other lovers. I want to know you. Come on, make the commitment tonight. Cut covenant tonight. I want to serve you. I want to be near you. I want wholeness in my life. I'm tired of being back and forth. Jesus, tonight, I need your spirit. So she had a commitment issue. Like some of us tonight, God's going to break that commitment issue. Verse 19, look at this. The woman said to him, sir, my nose is so itchy, I apologize. I perceive, well, you think, that you are a prophet. Then she says in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Ch changes the subject, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where you ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. So the hour is not just coming, it's, it's now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God, very important here. Let me highlight this. Write this in the chat. God is spirit. This is so profound. God is spirit. So we worship in spirit and in truth. God is not a physical, tangible thing we can hang on to. He's a spirit. He's supernatural. And those who worship him must you don't get a choice here. You must worship in spirit and in truth. This lady completely changes the story. And this is what we always do. When someone calls out our sin, like Jesus was doing, he was calling out her sin. When someone points out our issues, when someone confronts us, we change this subject to something of lesser importance. Nobody wants to deal with the real issues in the church, like pornography, 
Nobody wants to deal with the real issues in the church like gossiping and unfaithfulness and talking dirty and watching dirty movies and living a dirty, unclean life and being, and being lazy and prayerless and not fasting. We don't want to deal with that. So we go and change the subject and talk about other things. And we go on about, we just need more discipleship. We need better programs. We need a more worship set. We need to do a new night at the movie series. And we have all these things in the church that we preach about to avoid Jesus confronting our sin. Jesus confronting our unfaithfulness. But the real issue is this. You've been unfaithful and the root is there's sin in your life. And now you're changing it to where we should worship. Jesus says, lady, it's not about where you worship on this mountain. I worship here. I worship at Lifesong. I worship at First Baptist. I worship at Elevation Church. I worship at Bethel Church. I worship, I don't know, whatever, what are the famous churches? I don't even know anymore. I worship at Transformation. I worship here. We're all worshiping at a different place, a different, we think we're better than so-and-so because where we worship, and Jesus goes, you think it's about location? You think it's about locale, where you worship at? He says, it doesn't matter on that mountain or Mount Gerizim or in the Jerusalem and the temple. He says, it's not about location. God is spirit. And God wants people that will worship him at school and worship him at college and worship him at home and worship him in their car and worship him at Sunday at church and worship him in the bathroom and worship him all over the place. True worship is giving your body as a living sacrifice. Worship happens all day. It's not a one-time thing. Write this in the chat. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. Don't let Sunday morning or Wednesday night decide that's the time you're going to worship God. Worship God all week long. Don't just worship him once a week. Worship him all week long. So it's not about location. It's about spirit. We worship not just super spiritual, but also truth. We're solid in our theology. We, we preach the truth of God's word, but we're also spiritual. And the theology people say, oh, don't be so spiritual. And the spiritual people say, don't be so religious. We could be both. We could be, have the word knowledge and go verse by verse like we're doing tonight, but also be spiritual. How is it that the most theologically sound guys don't believe in casting out devils or healing the sick or miracles? We've gone so far that way, we don't believe in the supernatural. And we've gone so far that way, we don't believe in the truth. And God says, spirit and truth. Why? Because God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and also in truth. And then look at this, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. This lady is standing in front of the Messiah, right in front of him. And she says, oh, I know he's coming. He's not coming. He's right in front of you. How are you missing this? How can religious people be right in a move of God and mock it and ridicule and not realize it's right there in front of them? And then Jesus said to her, one of the best lines in the Bible, look at this. I who speak to you am he. Woo! I, I who speak to you am he. Capital H, capital I. I. I am the Messiah. How many conversations have we had with Jesus and don't even realize he's the Messiah? wrestling in our own head, not realizing God's talking to us. How many divine appointments have we missed because we don't realize Jesus is right there telling us, go pray for that person. Go lay hands on that person. Go call that person. Go send them a Bible verse. How do we miss this? And he's right there in front of us, right there in front of us. Look at this. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They didn't dare ask him. This is the son of God after all. Verse 28. The woman, and this is what we're going to do tonight. Wow. The woman left, then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said, to, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out in the city and came to him, left her jar behind. Le the, the very reason why she came with her jar to get temporary water leaves it behind. God is going to call some of you tonight to leave what's important behind, to realize that you are for you to be alive is to know Christ. When I came to God, I left my water jar. Everything I dreamed of, all my worldly hopes and aspirations were meaningless in light of this man. She forgot about why she even came in the first place because she got something 10 times better than what she came for. 
I went to church to disprove God. I'm never coming back. This is stupid. And I can't, I left my water pot at that altar January 12, 2011. And I got something infinitely better than I came for. I came to mock. I came to ridicule. I came to joke. And I left with living water. She doesn't even think to bring her water pot because she got something infinitely better. She forgot why she came. Maybe you're in this stream for healing. Maybe you're in this stream tonight because someone told you about it or because you need something or because you're here on accident. But I believe tonight you're going to get something you didn't expect when you coming here. That's going to be living water. And you're going to leave the reason you came behind and say, I want that living water. Can you imagine that morning? She woke up not dreaming in a million years. This would be the day she finally got what she needed. She's gone from relationship, five weddings, five husbands, uncommitted. But, oh man, I get emotional talking about this. This would be the day everything changes. This would be the day her life turns around. This would be the day everything turns around. And, and this is what she does. She goes and tells everybody about him. Is that the, the result of the encounter we have where we go, I have to tell everybody about the man that I met at the well. And for two days, revival breaks out because a sinner, let, let me rephrase it, a famous sinner had an encounter with God. And it so changed her that I want the entire village to know about what God has done in my life. She said, come see this man. And they're probably thinking, girl, you've been with every man in the town. What do you mean come see this man? Nope. Nope. This man's different than every other man. I have been with all these other men and you guys have all seen it. And you've seen me broken. You came to my wedding. Imagine getting invited to her third wedding. And you're like, this lady's been married five times. And the new guy she's with, is she going to marry him next? You're like, guy, dude, do not marry this girl. She's been married five times. We've been to five. Imagine going to all five of her weddings. And you've seen her heartbreak. Was it the man? Was it her? I don't know. But she's been heartbroken. I'm preaching to someone watching this. She's been let down by so many different men, by so many different people. And she's broken and she's at the well, another ordinary day of heartbreak, another man at the well, another, another man that's going to call me a dog, another man that's going to abuse me, another man that's going to break my heart, another man that only wants one thing from me, another man that's going to mock me and ridicule, here we go again. And the guy I'm with is even here, I'm talking to a new guy now. I'm at the well talking to a Jew now. But here's what she didn't realize. This man was unlike any man that has ever walked the earth before. He's not like your grandfather. He's not like the dad that abused you. He's not like the boyfriend that left you at the altar. He's not like that guy that divorced you to go marry your best friend. He's not the cheater. He's not a loser. He'll never hurt you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is God, the Messiah in the flesh that can only give you, that can give you what no other man can give you, living water and eternal life. And maybe every other man hurt you, but this man will never hurt you never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. That's good preaching there. That's a good, that's a good, some good serious Bible stuff there. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Wow. I have food. They're, they're like, why, why, excuse me. There's literally no food in your bag. Okay. We brought you food. There's no food anywhere. He goes, no, no, no. I have food. You just don't know about it. And he's not talking about sneaking food. He says, I have food you do not know of. And we're going to find out what that food is. And maybe some of you are starving and need that food tonight. Therefore, verse 33, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're like, what is going on here? How does he, how does he have food? Jesus said to them, my food, this is, what, this is for us. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. The disciples are asking Jesus, where did you get food from? And this is the food Jesus has, has doing the will of God. It, it's what 
gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what fuels you. It's what gives you energy. It's what gives you satisfaction. There's nothing better than doing the will of God. If you feel spiritually malnourished, if you feel weary, if you feel tired, if you feel broken, you need to start doing the will of God. This is what gives you nourishment. This is what brings you passion. Have you ever, for example, fed the homeless and you felt amazing after, you felt energized. If you go to ministry and you're like, I didn't even eat all day and you feel fine, you don't even feel hungry and you've been ministering, ministering all day, it's because you got food that is not worldly food. It's doing the will of the Father. That's what brings us nourishment. Jesus says, listen, the harvest usually takes months. It's ready, it's ripe. Open your eyes. Some of you are going to sow the seed and some of you are gonna reap the harvest. Both of you rejoice. Maybe I'm sowing seed tonight and then a month goes by, somebody will reap and of, of that seed I've sowed. Maybe tonight you're in this broadcast and your family's been sowing into you for years and I'm gonna come and reap the harvest and you're gonna get saved tonight. And that's how it works. We work together. Here's what Jesus was saying in a nutshell. Jesus was saying, the people are ready to hear the gospel message. They are ripe to hear the gospel message. And this is my word for you tonight. There are ripe people all around you. There are people all around you that are ready to hear this gospel message, that are ready to hear the message that God has given us. This is what he was saying. He goes, they are ripe to hear this message. But I want you to look at here, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because, this is why they believed, because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay there and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. When, then they said to the woman, what woman? The woman at the well. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because what you said, but we ourselves have heard him and we know that is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. So notice, we believe not because of your testimony. Your testimony brought us to listen, but it was our personal encounter with Christ, the savior of the world, that brought us into the kingdom and made us actually stay. So you, your testimony brought us to hear him, but we personally heard him and that's where things change. You cannot just have an encounter or live your life just through me, by what I tell and the testimonies I tell. You need to encounter God, open your Bible, open up and get into prayer for yourself so that you can say, I don't believe just because Isaiah told me, I don't believe just because a friend told me, I believe because I've encountered him, I've, I've heard his voice, I've encountered his spirit. Verse 43 through 47, let's read this here. Stone chapter four. Now after the two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen, this is why they received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, we're in verse 46 here, where he had made the water to wine, excuse me where he'd made the water to wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When they heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, they went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Verse 48, then Jesus said, unless, so they're asking Jesus to heal this boy that's about to die. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. This is their problem. They always need to see something. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed, this is the key. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and told him saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour that his son got better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole house and he himself believed and his old household this again is the second sign that jesus did when he had come out of judea judea into galilee here's what we need to learn when jesus says go do something we just go do it we don't ask questions we don't give its ands or buts the man came to jesus said my son is about to die jesus is like you guys never believe unless you see a sign and wonder jesus says go your son has been healed the guy doesn't see a sign and wonder the guy, and this is for some of you that have been waiting for a miracle. The guy doesn't see a miracle. Nothing changes in the guy's world. Nothing that I see personally changes. So what does the guy have to do? I have to go walk out the word. I have to take the word that your son's been healed, believe the word that God has given me, even though I haven't seen any results 
and I have to walk the word out. And if you walk the word out, the word will work. And so here he is now. Are you catching this? Walking out the word. God says, my son's healed. I'm going to believe him. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to beg you. Come home with me, Jesus. You got to do this. I have to see it with my eyes. He said to believe, I'm going to believe. And the Bible says his son lived because he believed his faith. So he's walking as he's walking, a servant runs up to him, says, you're not going to believe this. Your son's fine. He's, he's, and I'm paraphrasing this. He's talking, he's eating, he's up. He was about to die. Now he's perfectly fine. What time was it that my son was well, that my son was, was healed and got out of bed? The seventh hour, it was that same hour the fever left him. He realized that was the same hour which Jesus said to him. Friend, let me tell you something. Jesus is not slow in his promise. He's not slack in his word. He's not a man that he should lie. He's a man that could heal, a man that could deliver, a man that could set free right now. And there's often times where we are waiting for healing in our physical body, where we're waiting Maybe you're here tonight for deliverance in your body. You say, I've been waiting and I have the word. God says, I'm going I'm to heal you. And we're believing for our healing and believing for a miracle. And then one day, boom, we get healed. And we say, I've been believing. I've been walking out the word. Or maybe God's given you a word to start a ministry. And you're just sitting around doing nothing. And God says, walk out the word. Like when God said, Isaiah, I want you to go on social media. I didn't want to do it. He said, I want you to live stream. I want you to preach. I had to start learning. I got up. I got up off the couch. I, I went on Amazon. I started ordering cameras and lighting and equipment and learning how's the algorithm. How do you live stream and what's a stream code and what's a server HTML and what's RTMPs and what is this and what is bitrate and how do I have to do? I spent hundreds of hours and I still do. I was up super late last night learning about how to increase this quality, how to set up this. Hours, hours, hours. Why? Because I have the word. What's the word? The word was... You're going to reach millions of people with the gospel. The word was digital stadiums. Last year, we reached 205 million people with the message of the gospel. Why? Because we're walking out the word. We're walking out the word. We're not sitting around. Some of you just need to walk. If God says, I'm going to save your kid, start praying. Start ministering. Start reaching him. Start crying out to God and let God do the work. But no, it's already done. Even, even though I'm not there yet, the man's not even there yet. The man's far away walking, believing that by the time I get there, I'm going to catch up to the word because the guy's here. Jesus is here. The boy gets healed, but the guy's still here. The healing's way up here. It's way in the future. I'm not even there yet. I'm still, but the moment God speaks, the boy's already healed. I just had to get catch up to the thing. I had to get, when God says it, you're going to reach these people. Here's what you're going to do. In God's eyes, it's already, already, I'm already, it's done. God says, I've given you everything you need, but I had to walk that out. I had to work it out. God says, write a book. The book's done, but I haven't written it yet because it's a word I've been given, but I have to walk out the word. So we're walking out what God has spoken to us. Well, how do I get a word from God? The Bible's full of promises. Open your Bible, read it out loud. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God for a vision, a dream. Ask God to whisper to your heart. Me doing this, what I'm doing here in live streaming the last three years, it was just in prayer, feeling an overwhelming desire that this is what I needed to do. I all of a sudden had a desire. I need to do this. I, I, I felt like God is saying this. I don't know if it's audible. I don't know if it's a small voice. I don't know what it is, but something's changing. Something's different. I don't know. I've been traveling for 10 years everywhere, all over the country, pastoring full-time, senior pastoring a church, but now God is saying, you got to shift it around. Do this. I, I can't explain it. It's a word. It's a word. Everyone calls me crazy, but I got to walk this thing out. So I, I want to tell you, keep walking. God said he's going to heal me, but he hasn't healed me. Keep walking. God said he was going to deliver me. I haven't been delivered. Tonight might be your night. That, that guy didn't know that this was going to be the time, the 11th hour, this would be the moment of my miracle. But what did the Samaritan woman have and this man, these two people in this John chapter four have? They had faith. They had faith to believe God. And we're going to see that again next week. Faith to believe God for the impossible. Tonight is your night. This is not some speak it and claim it and grab it and blab it and whatever word of faith. That's not what I'm preaching tonight. I am saying if God has given you a word, you need to walk that word out and say, here I am, Lord. I want to be healed. I want to be delivered. I don't, I don't want to just, I want to leave my water pot pot here. I want to leave it. I've, I came for one thing, but I'm leaving with something else. Tonight is my night for living waters. Tonight is my night to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. 
God wants to give you living water. And guess what? I'm the first one in line. I'm the first one in line to say, Lord, I need living water. I need living water. I can't live without this. I can't go without this. I need the water. I need it. I'm dry. Some of you are so dried up. You're more dry than last year's bird's nest. You need the living water of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight is your night. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. We're not here to be religious. We're not here to just do a theological teaching or a verse by verse. All of that's great, but we're here to experience the presence of God. It's alive. It's real. The Holy Ghost is here among us. Emmanuel, the God that's among us. Father, I pray right now. You said in John that those that thirst and hunger for righteousness shall be filled with living water. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would fill every single person in this chat with living water. Living water. What do you have to do? You just need to ask. You need to ask. Ask right now for living water. Fill us right now with living water. Begin to ask him right now. Lord, fill me with living water. I'm thirsty. Some of you have been at the wrong well. You've been at the wrong well. You've been at the well of social media. You've been at the well of relationships, the well of drinking, the well of partying. And God says living water, living water. You've come to the right well tonight. We draw from his well, not to make our lives easier or better, but to make our lives biblical and powerful. Tonight, Father, we're asking you to fill every single person with living water. I pray right now, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, rivers of living water would just begin to flow right now in Jesus' name. I pray you be filled with the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Father, we need you. Fill them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. I pray the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit. Those that are discouraged, tired, and weary, I say be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Heaviness come off of them. Weariness come off of them. Dryness come off of them. Tiredness come off of them. Be filled tonight with the Holy Ghost and fire. Power of God. Power of God. Power of the Holy Spirit. Anointing of the Holy Spirit. Flow. Rivers of living water. Just take a deep breath. Flow. Rivers of living water. Power of the Holy Spirit. Flow right now in Jesus' name. Lord, do what only you can do. I can't do this. I got, I got nothing. I got no power. Lord, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. You said that we can be continually filled. I pray right now that they would be filled. I pray that that desire for the world would be gone. That they would no longer look after or lust after the, the pleasures and the waters of this world. And Lord, I pray for so many that are uncommitted, that are unfaithful, that you give us faithfulness. That we would just keep showing up when we're tired, when we're weary, when we don't feel like it. We'd keep showing up. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Deliver us, Lord. Maybe you've been waiting on your deliverance. I just pray, Lord, that you would deliver them. I command every unclean spirit to leave now in Jesus' name. You have no power. You have no strength. Leave these bodies now in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. Come up and out now. Out of their mouth into the abyss now. Every foul spirit must go now. You must go now in Jesus' name. You have no power. You have no authority. The Lord rebukes you. Come up and out now. Come up and out now in Jesus' name. Freedom reigns. Freedom reigns in Jesus' name. Every foul spirit, go. Go. Come out in Jesus' name. The blood is against you, Satan. The blood is against you, Satan. Go now. Go now. Loose them. Spirit of anxiety, spirit of depression, spirit of fear. Loose them right now in Jesus' name. Loose them right now. And Father, I pray you'd fill their house with living water. I pray, Lord, you'd bring healing. Maybe you've been waiting for a miracle. Maybe you're like this guy whose son is about to die with a high fever. And God says, I'll heal your son. Father, I pray divine healing in our bodies. Wherever you need healing, just put your hand and believe God tonight. Lord, heal our bodies tonight in Jesus' name. We pray that you would heal. We pray that you would restore. We pray that you would renew bodies right now. Arthritis, go in Jesus' name. Cancer, go in Jesus' name. Sickness, out of our bodies now. We ask for the healing power of the Holy Spirit to begin to flow. The healing power of Jesus begin to flow in your body right now in Jesus' name. Lord, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Father, we just say, have your way. Have your way. Let your anointing flow, Lord. Let your power flow. Let your fire fall tonight in Jesus' mighty name. God, we can't do this without you. 
In Jesus' mighty name, have your way, Lord. Holy Ghost, fill every person with fire. Fill every person with power. Fill every person with living water. Depression, no more. Fear, no more. Schizophrenia, go. Come out. No more. No more seeing figures, talking to people, demons, all that. It's time to go. You have no power. Leave now. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way. Fill them right now with peace and joy and love. God, I pray tonight we leave our, our water jars. I pray we'd be filled with living water. I pray we'd walk out the word that you've spoken and that we'd realize how important this thing is. Lord, do what only you can do. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, move right now. Rivers of living water. Maybe you're trying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never prayed in tongues before. Just begin to open your mouth. Let the rivers of living water flow. The devil is a liar. Roman, uh, second, uh, first Corinthians chapter 14. It's a language that the spirit utters mysteries that no man can understand. Just begin to pray in the spirit. Father, I pray right now. Rivers of living water. Just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when we know what, not what to pray, the Spirit utters mysteries, prays out of us, and groanings that can't be understood. Holy Ghost, move right now. Holy Ghost, have your way. Come on, I, I love praying in the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit every single day. This is life-changing. Some of you are getting it right now. Rivers of living water begin to flow. Rivers of living water begin to flow. Living water flow, flow in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise for what you're doing. There is no one like you, Lord. Someone say, I'm crying. The presence of the God is in my living right now. Come on, Laura. Keep praying. Let the Holy Spirit move. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Presence of God in our houses. Henry said, I'm shaking. Let the Holy Spirit move in your life. Let the Holy Spirit fire move in your life. Thank you, Lord. What did you say? I prayed in tongues. I didn't say anything. We're not interpreting. This wasn't, a, this wasn't speaking in tongues for an interpretation. We're just praying in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fill us with living water. Fill us with living water in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get filled tonight with the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and the praise for this breakthrough, this deliverance, this fire of God. Sometimes I feel electricity all over me. Lord, we just pray you would move. You would move. I'm reading all the comments here. Move, Lord, in signs and wonders and miracles. Move in our kids. Move in our families. Move in our marriage. We want to be more hungry for you. We want to be more desperate for you. We want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to encounter you. We want to hunger for the word of God. A hunger for the word of God. A hunger for prayer. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pray that. Lord, give me a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, give me a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need your spirit in me tonight. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What an awesome time. We're going to hang out for probably another 30 minutes here or more. Talk to the chat. Answer questions. See, see how you guys feeling tonight. If you want to give, I'll put the links to give on screen here. I'll read some donations and then we'll hang out and talk. And we will just have a good time answering questions. Type one in the chat if you are blessed. If you're listening on Spotify or Google Play and you're still listening, you can give on isaiahsatliver.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.